Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. I want to go ahead and jump in here today on this part three of what is truth. If you've missed the previous two, these are on video. You can watch them if you missed something. And we just, you know, it's, it's my heart. I know it's God's heart that, and it was certainly, I read this last week where the apostle John said, man, it brings such incredible joy to my heart when I see my children walking in truth, that that is the heart of a leader. That's the heart of a pastor. That's the heart of a father and a mother is that children would walk in truth. And you guys are certainly not my children, yet we are in the same family. Um, Jesus, the Lord calls us sheep, right? And that we would be led by him, that we would live in truth, not just know truth, but we would live in it, that we would walk in it. And when we abide in his word, and walk in his truth, his truth sets us free in every way. He wants us free. That's why he wants us to walk in his truth so that we'll be free, free in our minds, free in our bodies, free to follow him, free to be who he made us to be in this world, on this planet, that we would live in such a way that we wouldn't be hurting our own bodies, that we wouldn't be hurting other people around us. Truth is beautiful and important. It's necessary and it can be found. Part of the lie in many ways, is that truth is fluid and uncertain and it doesn't really exist. And truth is just simply, you know, what you think and what he thinks and what she thinks and, you know, whatever you think. And that is just not true. There is truth. There is the bedrock of truth. And that leads to that question that Governor Pilate asked Jesus, what is it? What is truth? Although I think he probably wasn't asking as much of a question as he was making a statement, kind of, with the implication that there isn't any. Because he didn't wait for Jesus to answer who was true standing in front of him. But what we know is that Jesus said of himself, he is truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And the scriptures are the, is the sum of truth. So we have truth. So thankful for that. So we can know what is right, what is wrong, what is true, what is real, what are lies also. And we can apply the truth of Jesus, the Spirit of God, the Word of God, to everything in culture, to everything in society, to identify what is real, another word for truth, what is true, what is real, and what is not. Oh man, I'm so grateful we can do that. One element of the prayer that Jesus gave us, remember his prayer when he was teaching us how to pray, his disciples and us, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is full of truth. Everything in heaven, that reality is real. And the desire of Jesus, not just his desire, but his request for us to pray that the kingdom of heaven would, be, would come here. And so that is also a part of truth. It's we're praying that truth would come here, that the kingdom of heaven would be here, that it would be realized here, 
And we know that this will happen fully. In Revelation, it tells us that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will rule and reign forever, right? That will happen, but we're to pray that it does. And in a sense, we're the bringers of kingdom here. That's part of what our assignment is. is. We're going to talk more about our assignment as believers and as the church next week. But while there is this prayer and this asking and in God moving with truth, giving us truth, that is happening in the earth. There's more truth that whether it's through discovery or through revelation of God's word throughout time, we have more truth than we've ever had. At the same time, you could also say there's more lies and deception than there's ever been as well, right? They're growing up together. Deception and lies and truth and kingdom. And it's a little bit similar to, you know, what Jesus said about the end of time when he says, you know, the wheat and the tares. He says, just let them grow up together. And then there'll be this removal of the tares. And the wheat will remain. There'll be removal of, of lies. And, you know, that's part of what, what God does is brings truth, illuminates. And there's a real war. We talked about that last week against truth. You and I were born into a battle, onto a battlefield. There's a war with truth and lies between those two. It's the enemy. He's always been the father of lies. And he is against truth. So he is stirring up every which way he possibly can constantly. And it's always important for us to remember that it's not, our battle is not with people of any variety. Our battle is with the enemy, the father of lies. He's the one who's injecting these lies into people, onto people, but we have to always recognize people are not our enemy. Yet we're in a battlefield. It's a battle that's in the air. It's a battle that's in uh, words and thoughts and ideas, deceptions. And God has given us his truth. So thankful. These are confusing times in many ways because of all the culmination and the enemy's lies that have just been repeated over and over and over. And then he comes up with new twists and new lies. John chapter 8, verse 12 says, Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's uh, speaking to truth right there. And I love this verse. It's been, I've had this in my, on my wall for a long time. It's not currently, but I have a, this mounted in a frame that as we follow Jesus, the promise is, as we follow him who is truth, that his truth, his light will illuminate us and we will not walk in darkness. I won't walk in deception. We can have that confidence. Do you realize that? We should be confident in the truth that God has given to us as we follow him. As I keep my eyes on him, as I, as he said, abide in his word. You can't know truth without knowing his word. We have to have his word. We should be eating this every day. Eating this. Jeremiah said, I found your word and I ate it. 
And it became to me the joy and the delight of my heart. So there's an eating, not just a reading. It's a, it's a spirit man consumption of this word. And as we abide in his words, as we keep our eyes on him, we will know truth. We'll walk in his truth. Not only will we set free, but we'll have the light of life. We'll see what is true and what isn't true. And in many ways, we'll talk some more about this next week as well, but we are also missionaries of love and truth here, embedded in a backwards world and a backward system. Because Jesus not only said he was the light of the world, who else did he say was? We are. We're the light of the world. He said, I'm the light of the world while I'm in the world. Then he said, you are the light of the world, Matthew chapter 5. You're the light of the world. So we are also the bringers of truth. And the Bible addresses nearly every facet of living. Of course, some of our contemporary living have things that didn't exist back then when the Bible was written, but still every area, general area of society and life and living are addressed in the scriptures with truth. So we can know what to do. So we know how to live. They're still relevant today. And while we're still discovering things in the heavens, I don't know if you pay attention to this kind of stuff. I really do. Um, the James Webb telescope, which just got into place this year, a few months ago, this telescope is phenomenal as it zooms in in places in the universe that we've never seen before, not very clearly anyway. And then the Hubble that's been there for a long time. I really enjoy those things. They're bringing images to God's handiwork in creation that make me marvel at God. In fact, I, have a, I took a, a photo that was online. You know, they take these, these photos from these telescopes and they put them online. You have access to them. Your tax dollars paid for the, those photos. And so I took this one and I turned it into an eight foot long by four foot high. I've had it printed on metal and it's in our living room. If you've been in my house, you've seen it. I have the universe, a picture of a galaxy on, the, on our living room wall. And it reminds me when I look at it of the magnificence of God. So we're still discovering things, whether it's in space or in medical type of things, still discovering things. But every part of discovery in true science confirms and like demonstrates the, the glory of God. It's a beautiful thing. It doesn't clash with the scriptures. True science does not. It actually just affirms, oh my goodness, you can call it the Big Bang, but I also call it, let it bang. Right? God spoke. You know, and scientists said, well, there was a start to all this. There was a bang. Well, you know, you can call it, that's fine with me. But clearly, we see, we know, God only exists, but he started all of this. Truth is often offensive, especially if you've built your lives on a lie. Anyone who has built their life on a lie, they don't know they've done that. They're deceived. You know, the deceived person doesn't know they're deceived. And we've all been deceived in certain areas of our lives. And truth can be really offensive. But when we embrace truth and that offense doesn't allow, doesn't, doesn't keep it 
from landing in us and we embrace truth, wow, we really are set free. You know, the gospel is offensive. At some point, every one of you in here heard the gospel for the first time. I'm not sure how you responded that first time. Usually it's one of three different ways. One is you got offended when part of the gospel was that you are a sinner, right? I, there's famous people and a former president. I remember an interview with him and he said, I don't need forgiveness. I've not done anything wrong. So that was his take on hearing the gospel. He didn't need it. That's some people's take. What do you mean? There's, uh, and the Bible says what? And Proverbs 21, 2, every man's way is right in his own eyes. That's, sometimes that's the response when someone hears the gospel. Another person might just reject it as a fairy tale or foolishness. Which 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to the, us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The gospel itself sounds foolish. God in heaven, invisible, sends his son as God in the flesh of man to live a perfect life, to pay for our sin and all of our mistakes and all of our wayward thinking and all those things. Then he rises back to life after he's crucified and killed. I mean, that sounds crazy. That depth of love, that kind of love, the need for that. But to those who recognize it and their spirit goes, oh my goodness, that is a true story. And I am in need of a savior. To us, it's words of life. But it can sound foolish and it can sound offensive. What do you mean? I'm a good person. I don't need anybody to bail me out. I'm a good person. I've heard that many times. But we can take the issues and the questions of our day, the questions in society, the questions in culture, and all the confusion, let me call it that, in culture, in society, and we can overlay it with Jesus, the spirit of truth, and the sum of truth and find out what's real and what isn't. That's a wonderful thing. I've had people argue with me. I'll get to some of that in a minute, but or maybe later. As I've shared things up here, and when I got off the stage, they confronted me right off the bat. They said, Matt, why would you say that? Because that's not in the Scripture. And it is clearly in the Scripture. Over and over and over. So I said, how about we look at three different passages? And that's, again, if we don't know the truth, if we don't know the Word, we're not going to know the truth which is a, a huge reason why we need to know this word. There are a lot of sayings that aren't biblical, almost and idioms that are not biblical, that we can rely on and we shouldn't. So some of these areas of society that truth applies to, we can try, apply truth to, to our physical bodies, sexuality, sex in general, morality, social issues, family and relationships, Wealth and work, emotional and mental health and well-being, character and ethics, spirituality, science and astronomy, biology. We can apply many things that we learn through the scriptures 
and through the Spirit to these things to find out, do they, do they really hold truth? It might be a consensus among people, but it might not be true. You know, you can have uh, 50 people agree to something does not make something true. Or 50 million people agree to something does not make it true, right? You have to apply the right standard to it, to apply the right thing to it. So I was just talking about the heavens. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows and proclaims His handiwork. So again, those telescopes pointing up there, what they're doing is zooming in on the handiwork of God and declaring His glory. I love it. Day after day pours forth speech. Night after night shows forth knowledge. There's no speech or spoken word from the stars. Their voice is not heard, yet their voice, they don't have a physical voice, but they're speaking to us by their existence, goes out through all the earth. Their sayings to the end of the world. Of the heavens, God has made a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and it rejoices as a strong man to run his course. It's going forth as from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the ends of it, and nothing is hidden from the heat of it. The heavens declare the glory of God. We can apply truth to biology type of situations, and we're discovering a lot. When I say we, I'm not a molecular biologist in any way, fashion or form, and I'm just reading things. But here's some of the things I've read. I've, and we have people in here who know a whole lot more than I do on any of these type of things. But some of these things that I, I've been following for years, I remember when they uh, announced the genome project to map the human genome. It was done in 2003, now at least 92% done. It was 100% done here just a few months ago, actually. But in 19, excuse me, 2003, when they had a 92% map, they felt like they've got a pretty complete understanding of what this is and the structure of human DNA. Do you realize this? That in every cell, well, by the way, every human has, any guess on how many cells you have in your body? Here's what they, they've counted them somehow. I don't know how. 37.2 trillion cells in your body. And in each cell are these pairs, DNA pairs. And in each cell, 8 billion pairs. No, 3 billion, sorry. 3 billion pairs of DNA in every DNA strand in every cell. 3 billion. And each pair has a basically a letter, an identifier that is code programmed into our DNA of that tells the cell what to do, what it's going to be. Think about that for a second. Just in one DNA, you have 37 trillion of them. In one is this DNA strand in there with 3 billion letters. If you were just to read that, just the one strand, one strand out of 37 trillion of your own, and you read one letter of that strand every second, it would take you 95 years 
day and night, 95 years, to read that one strand. 95 years of 24 hours a day reading to just see the code inside of one cell. And you have 37 trillion of them. You see the handiwork of God, whether you're zooming in through the James Webb or through a microscope into the DNA level, we're seeing that God is way, way, way beyond what we ever thought and can do and has done beyond what we ever thought. And it's declaring his glory at every level. Declares the glory of God, incredible to me. So in Genesis 1.27, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There's a lot of truth in this one verse, in this one passage, that God exists, he created humankind, and he created them male and female in his own image, similar to him in some ways. There's so much meaning in there. One, one element of that is that we have intrinsic, huge value. Anything made in the image of God has huge value. The animals were not made in his image. Nothing else on the earth was made in his image, just humans. And also, here's what that means. He didn't say humans with a certain skin tone. It's that we are all one human tribe, one human family. So every person of every skin tone from every tribe, male or female around the planet, has this same beautiful value made in the image of God. So you can put truth on this and say and understand this, that because of that, racism should have no place on the planet or in any heart since we are all made in his image with all the same value. So to look down upon someone else, regardless of because they're too short or they're white or black or Asian or whatever it is, is wrong. That means there's sin there. We've missed it there. That seems pretty easy to understand that, right? And I'm so thankful for people who were believers who saw things like this and saw slavery, and still today, there's slavery, but people like William Wilberforce, one of my heroes in England, a strong believer, a parliamentarian who fought for 40 years every single day to end slavery because he realized this is against what God made. There should never be a person enslaving another person. And England became the first country on the planet to ever reverse and stop the slave trade into slavery in their nation. We were behind them by about 30 some years. And we had a war to end it, which was late in coming, finally came. So we see in Genesis 1, we're made in God's image, male and female. We also find that each of us 
was hand-formed by God, not just Adam and Eve, but you and I today. Every human. Psalm 139, verse 13 says, For you created my innermost parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. In the womb, I was woven. I will give thanks to you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. The Lord spoke to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1.5, and here's what he said. Before I formed you, Jeremiah, in the womb, before I formed you in the womb, which means I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah understands not only God formed him in the womb of his mother, but while he was there, at some point along the line, came the purpose for his life and the calling for his life before he ever breathed his first breath. The value of a person. Hand-formed by God. And when you look at that DNA level, you realize there is intelligent design here. We've got, and not only in that DNA strand, are they all there, but they're all in the right order. Every single bit of information and code and instruction is perfectly aligned so that you will be the unique person that you are. And you have purpose. Every person on the planet, not just us, every person has purpose. Psalm 139, 16 says, Your eyes have seen my formless substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Again, when I was formless, when I was in the womb, but hadn't even been formed, all my, my arms hadn't been formed yet, it was around that time that God started writing in his book, a book with your name on it, all the days that you would live. Finishes forming you, and then you're born. Pretty amazing. I wrote this book called, well, I've written a couple of books about this, actually. Um, one of them hasn't been published yet. About this type of thing at the end, when you get to see the book, your book, in heaven, that had all your days, before you started one of them. That is, again, how big God is. And so we can take something that culturally... In 1973, when they said abortion is okay to do. And babies by the millions started getting slaughtered for convenience. And now it's well over 60 million in our country and in the world, many, many, many more. But you can take this, what we just read there, apply it to that and say, that is wrong. That is wrong to take the life of someone that God is forming in the womb, Right? It's easy. It's easy to see when you apply truth, when we apply what God says about things. And we can do this to everything. We're going to do a handful here today. Again, from Genesis 127, we learn that God made two sexes, men and women, male and female. That's how it started out. He still does it that way. In Romans 8.15, it 
says, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So there are a few things here. One is that he made us male and female in his image. And then we are called, after we receive him, we're called his children. His children. So our identity is clearly shown there that my, my identity is as his child. Matt Peterson, child of God. Your name, child of God, is your identity. Not your ethnicity, not your color of your skin. Your identity, baseline identity, is as a child of God made in his image. That's who every single one of us are. The enemy is going to constantly try and has been doing this forever to try to deceive us to find our identity in something that's not our identity. To make a huge deal out of a certain belief or a certain orientation or a certain feeling and that becomes identity. It's all false. Our identity is in who he says that I am and who he made me to be which is a wonderful thing. Guess what? Emotions and feelings are not the foundation for truth. That's really important. Emotions and feelings are not the foundation for truth. How many times, oh, I've done this many times, where I have felt that someone was feeling bad things about me. And I was convinced and then when it came down to it and I asked them or it came out what they were really feeling, it was the opposite of what I thought. My feelings were lying to me. This happens every day around the world, constantly. That's just one example. How about this? We have some pilots in here. I know Justin up here is a pilot. He was just playing. We have several people who are pilots. I'm not a pilot. I've been on hundreds of flights, but I'm not a pilot. But I've heard pilots talk about this thing. When they're flying their plane, if it's really cloudy and the visibility is zero and they're flying through clouds or storms, their feelings do all kinds of different things. They will feel like, I need to okay, I need to turn right or I need to go down or I need to go up. And they'll start feeling, they feel in their bodies, and correct me if I'm wrong, the pilot's in here, they will feel that they are supposed to do something and navigate a certain way, which is why, thankfully, the FAA makes them get their instrument rating. Because these planes have these amazing instruments on board. And the instruments are not based on feelings. Right? They're based on data and a compass, and they know which way is north, southeast, west. It knows the elevation regardless of the conditions or the surrounding or the confusion that they see and feel. And if they go by, I've heard pilots talk about not going by their instruments and thinking their instruments are haywire. Uh, that's a word I grew up with, haywire. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Feel like the instruments aren't working properly. And they, they, they'll feel like, no, I need to do this. I know it's saying I'm this, but I need, I feel like I've got to make this turn or I'm going to be off course. And sometimes, if they don't use their instruments, they can come out of that cloud bank and be upside down. 
be upside down or go in the exact opposite direction they thought they were going because their feelings lie in certain conditions. And it's the same with you and I in this world that is, was, we're wrapped around us with confusion. People saying this thing is true and that thing is true and it's okay to do this and it's okay to do that and everybody agrees to this and everybody's, there's this consensus that this is okay to do this. You can go, well, I can see that. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that, that, yeah, that'd be nice. Or think all these different kind of things and you can start making these turns. And then find yourself someplace you don't want to be. Where we've been given this, these instruments that are amazing because they're not based on feeling. So we can find out what God says and what truth is so we navigate our life by that. We navigate by, by what he says, not based on what I feel. If I navigate based on what I feel, I will find myself shipwrecked. I will find myself believing lies and deception because many of the things that God says, many of the things that we find in the scriptures that are true, they, they may not initially feel right. It may not have initially feel love, may not initially feel like he's taken everything into consideration. But I need to stick with what he's given. He is the spirit of truth. He knows what he's talking about. He created me from the DNA side and then everything out in the universe. He's super smart. He's got this figured out. He knows how you and I are supposed to live and how we can live our best life, our very best life that's whole, that's free. Many of the deceptions in the cloud bank and decisions the enemy tries to make us make in that cause us to be bound cause you to be addicted to something, bound by something, and not free at all. Yet you might say you are. And the reality is you're not free on the inside. That's how the enemy works. So, so many recent cultural, societal change, which defies science, actually. But then there's this consensus of people believing that it's true, so then they decide this is that and abortion being one of those. One of these here recently, of course, I'm bringing it up because these are in our face every day. And that has to do with gender, which originally linguistically, if you look at the etymology of the word gender, it really came because we just had the word sex, male and female, but also meant an activity. And so Using the word gender helped describe, no, it's male and female, not an act. So you can say sex and let's just say gender. So we're talking about male and female. It wasn't a word that was packed, jam-packed with 8,000 different kinds. That wasn't the intention of that. That wasn't the origin of that. That is a recent construction in fact, people, they can't even tell you how many there are now. When for thousands of years, there were two. So we can take the scriptures, which we just read, and apply it to this and go, no, wait a minute. 
People are taking feelings and creating things that don't exist based on feelings, based on doubts, based on emotion. But biology, DNA that we're just talking about, that DNA strand I was talking about, guess what? In our chromosomes, we have 23 pairs, right? The 23rd pair determines what? Sex. Either male or female. We've all got them. The XX means you're a female. The XY means you're a male. It's programmed into our being as to which gender you are or sex that you are. Now, you might not feel that way sometimes, but that isn't a reason to create something that doesn't really exist or is going to bring bondage. So we can, again, apply truth to this and hold fast to it and love everybody who's confused. And again, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, the enemy's always trying to twist things so he, or redefine things. And love is one of those words. Then he's tried to redefine that instead of having a deep care for someone to agreement with someone. Love does not mean you agree with every crazy thing that's ever said. Right? That's not love. In fact, you could call that, uh, in some ways, uncare or that you don't love someone. If you just agree with everything that, listen, have your kids ever said something nuts? Are there times out of love you say to them, honey, this, what you're saying is not true. Here's what's true. That might be offensive to you, but I love you enough that I'm going to tell you what's true. Because I don't want you to believe this crazy thing you just said. That's the way it works. When God made us male and female, wrote it into our code. You know, just like the, uh, the devil in the form of a snake, whether that's a metaphor or a real snake, I'm not sure. Nonetheless, he was speaking to Eve. She had truth. She was fully alive. She was made in the image of God. Yet his voice to her brought doubt. Are you sure that what God has said to you is true? Bringing that doubt, suspicion, mistrust of God. And by listening to that voice, just words in the air, she then felt as though she needed to do something apart from who she was and what she had been told and abandon her instrument of truth that God had given to her and reach out to get something and to do something that would really be what she needed and wanted. And this is the same thing the enemy does over and over. And that's why I talk about it so much because he does this constantly. And here's how he's doing it right now in our culture with this type of a thing for a person who's growing up, whether they're four or five years old, all the way up. The enemy is now not only just whispering himself, but he's causing other people to say these things, to doubt who you are. If you're a boy, you hear the whisper, man, I wonder if really you're a girl. 
you're a girl, these whisper, I wonder if you're really a boy, trapped in a girl's body. They're lies. They're just lies from the enemy, a twisting, just like in the beginning. No new tricks, but same pattern of lying and deception to twist. And then the temptation is, for Eve, it was you got to reach out and you got to do something. You got to eat this poison fruit. For other people in our culture today, the enemy say, okay, you've got to reach out and you've got to get a medical procedure to remove things, to change who you are because you're trapped inside. All this is based on a lie. At your chromosome level, it tells you what's true. And you can't change that chromosome level by having a medical procedure. Right? So this is just how the enemy... And it's, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Because we love people. And we love whether they're a child or they're an adult. You don't want them to mutilate themselves to try and be something that they're not. Because peace will not come that way. Wholeness does not come that way. Freedom does not come that way. In fact, it's the opposite. But we need to have hearts of love and compassion for them because we have what's real. And God can restore them and help them inwardly. Can heal their hearts. Make them whole. And give them what is true. What is life? And one of the reasons I'm, I want to say this today is because this evil, I'm just going to call it evil, it's trying to go after our kids. It is going after our kids. You know, one of the things the Bible says, what the question for Micah was, what do you want me to do, Lord? What, is, what are you looking for in me? The Lord says to him, but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Doing justice doesn't mean you clamor to receive justice for yourself. There's a bunch of whining people around the world who they, their whole life passion is that I am dealt with right. And sometimes we do need to voice, I've been mistreated, right should happen. But biblically, our mandate is to what? to do justice for others. That we make sure that other people are not mistreated. That my mission isn't that I receive justice. My mission is that others receive justice. That's a biblical mandate for us all. And the Bible is also very clear of what we do with children. It says, Jesus said the strongest words related to this. If you cause a little one to stumble, it's basically better that you were never born. If you cause a little person, a child, to stumble, there's a huge responsibility, huge responsibility for adults, for anyone who trains, teaches, has influence on children, that we treat them well and lead them right. But if we are the ones who are bringing ideas to them that are from hell to do the wrong thing, to mutilate their own bodies. There's huge responsibility for that as well. And we need to do justice means that we stand up for the kids, the ones who don't have any voices, whether they're in the womb or they're this tall or they're this tall or they're this tall, right? Part of what we're here for is to make sure that they 
are treated justly. And that the enemy doesn't have a place to do things to them that harm them. You know, so beautiful again, that we can know the truth and that we can embrace truth and that we have truth and that Jesus is truth and I get to have a relationship with him. And then we can help set other people free. It's a beautiful thing. Thank you, Lord, for that. So let's apply biblical standards, God's worldview, the way God sees things to everything in our culture around us. Not hating people, not demonizing anybody, loving everybody, whether they've made mistakes. Thank you for listening to Whether they've message. sinned, for updates whether they're in sin, episodes, we still love. Make sure That's to another mandate of ours, to love everybody regardless. And let us know how we're doing. But let's also walk in church. Visit awakechurch.com. Let's walk in it. Let's fly by truth in every way. All right.